1 Samuel chapter 27, titled the message today is The Lies We Tell Ourselves. The lies we tell ourselves. Lies are bad. Lies are bad. There are plenty of them. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies, but uh, in his sowing of lies, sometimes we buy into it and we tell ourselves lies, and those lies are the most insidious of all, aren't they? Uh, you know, by way of introduction today to this idea of the lies that we tell ourselves and, and just how the events in our lives kind of, you know, mold and shape and transpire in that regard, uh, there was, uh, you know, the Rose Bowl happens every year, and in 1956, the Rose Bowl was played uh, by uh, the UCLA uh, Bruins and uh, the Michigan State right? Uh, any football fans, what are they? The Michigan State, what? What are they? The Spartans? Okay. Wolverines? Spartans? What? Spartans? Okay, Spartans. We'll go with that. At any rate, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, all I care is that U- USC is playing. That's all I care about. But anyway, um, so uh, I lost, just lost some. Some of you are done. You just closed your Bibles. You're like, I'm out. You know? Anyway, that's like saying you're a Raiders fan, right? Anyway, so... <laughs> All right, so UCLA, I completely lost y'all. All right, so UCLA and Michigan State are playing. It's in the Rose Bowl. It's 1956, and this, the score is tied 14-14, and there's, there's seven seconds left in the game. Michigan State has the ball. They got 41 yards uh, to, to kick a field goal, you know? And so what happens is the, the coach brought in a guy named Dave Kaiser, Dave Kaiser was their punter, but they had another guy that they would use for their extra points, typically. But because of the distance, the coach thought, well, I'm going to use the guy that's got the stronger leg. So he throws in this guy named Dave Kaiser to take the snap and to take the kick. And so he, he does, and the ball is snapped, and he kicks the ball. Every eye in the stadium is on the ball, except for Dave Kaiser, Dave Kaiser is looking to the nearest referee to him. He's looking at him after he kicks the ball. Well, he makes the, the, the extra point. Michigan State wins the, the game. Everybody's, you know, carrying Dave Kaiser off as a hero off the field. The coach later on asks him, he says, Hey, I noticed that you weren't watching the ball. Why weren't you watching the ball? And it was only then that Dave Kaiser revealed to the coach that he is so profoundly nearsighted that he's basically blind as a bat on the field. He, he wears Coke bottle lenses, you know. He doesn't need to see to do the, the kickoffs because he's just walloping it, you know, down there. Uh, but he told him, he goes, I-, I couldn't see the ball. I couldn't see the goalposts. He goes, I couldn't even see the end zone. It was just a big blurry mass. The coach at this point is glad he didn't know that before he put him in there. You know, but it serves the story as a metaphor for our lives because a lot of times in life, we're like Dave Kaiser, where, where we can't see the goal. We can't see the goal post. We can't even see the end zone, man. It's just this big, blurry, nebulous thing out in the future, and we're sort of living our lives going for this goal that we can't see, that we can't discern. And as we work our way down the field of life and these goals are obscured, we're asking big questions, you know. Where, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to get a job? Who am I going to marry? You know, what, how am I going to make this big life-altering decision in my life? I got all these things and it's just this big blurry blob. You know, you ever felt like that? Maybe you feel like that today. And so because life is filled with uncertainty, our Bible is filled with God's promises. 
throughout the Bible, cover to cover, there, there are promises repeatedly given by God. Why? Well, because we, he knows, living in this world, oftentimes, we, do, we don't see as God sees. And so God constantly giving us his promises in Scripture. Paul, talking to the Philippians, he said, My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus telling his disciples that, you know, God takes care of the birds of the air. That he clothes the grass of the field with beautiful flowers. And Jesus said, look, if that's how God cares for them, how much more is he going to care for you, you know? And so our Bible filled with all of these promises from God. But when our goals are blurred and obscured, it's not always easy to trust in God's promises, is it? No, sometimes we will listen to that, that, that lie, that voice that whispers into our ear. Sometimes, lots of times, we'll follow the way that seems right to us because we can see that and we will ignore or not pay attention to or disregard the things that God promises us in Scripture because our circumstances don't seem to, to have the same promise as the lies that we tell ourselves, right? And so we're, where we're at today in 1 Samuel 27, what we're seeing with David is that David is telling himself lies. And we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the, the idea that what we believe affects our choices, what we believe affects our children, and what we believe affects our character. So we start off with what we believe affecting our choices, chapter 27, verse 1, and we read, And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, and so I shall escape out of his hand. Again, my first point, what we believe affects our choices. And I want you to take note here, just in this first verse, that God is not the one speaking. David is the one speaking. It is David who said in his heart these things, these lies. And we have to be very careful whose voice it is that we're listening to. Because if you say in your heart, God doesn't care about me. It is going to manifest itself in your life. It's going to make a difference in your life. If you say in your heart, hey, you know what? I deserve this or that. It's going to manifest in how you live your life. If you say in your heart, you know what? I, it, it, it's just all about me. Whatever I can do. God, you know, God helps those who helps himself. By the way, people quote that all the time. It's not in the Bible. Okay, but, but people say, oh, God helps those who helps themselves, you know, and, and so, and this is, this is how it's going to be, well, that's going to be manifested in how you live your life, okay, and so what we tell ourselves is very critically important. Now, conversely, the same principle applies. If you say in your heart, hey, you know what, God loves me, and there's nothing I can do to earn his love, which is biblical truth, and God loves me just because he's good, and he loves me, well, then that's going to manifest itself in how you live your life. I'll give you an example. If you say, oh, you know what? What I do is the, i got to earn God's love. Well, then you're constantly living your life in such a way to where your relationship with God is this tenuous thing. 
And you, being a sinner by nature and by choice, when you sin against God, then with that belief system, you are going to feel alienated and separated from God. And it might even lead you into a place to where you, in guilt and in shame, you don't come to God. And Satan plays on this all the time. He works this side of the fence, tempting you to sin. And the second you sin, he jumps on the other side of the fence. He's like, oh, you're such a loser. God just doesn't want anything to do with you. He's disgusted by you. And you can't go to God. You better go, you know, you better go work off and, you know, help a bunch of old ladies across the street and, like, you know, do a bunch of penance and, and, and do some works to, you know, to work back to a right relationship with God. And then, you know, well, then maybe you can go to God. And that's exactly where Satan wants us. Now, it, it, so if we tell ourselves, no, God loves me. God's for me. Yeah, he hates my sin, but, but, you know, he says in his word that if I confess my sin, that he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So Satan, doggone it, I, I, I went for it, I took the bait, and I sinned, but I'm going to run to God right now. And if we tell ourselves that, it's going to manifest itself in the actions that we take. See, what we say in our heart has great power, and it profoundly influences our choices. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Now, you'll recall, here we have David in this place. He's not trusting the Lord in his heart. Rather, in his heart, he's saying, This doggone Saul, he's, he's going to get me one of these days. He's going to kill me. Right? And so he's choosing to believe a lie. Now, when David fought Goliath, it was completely opposite of that. David going to fight Goliath and everybody's telling him, you can't do this. And David's immediate response is to say, oh, yes, I can. And I'll tell you how I can because you know what? God's been faithful in my life. He's, he's, he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He promises that he'll always be with me. And you know, when I was a boy tending my father's sheep and the lion came to attack me or the bear came and attacked me, I fought and I overcame them. And you know what? God was with me then and he's going to be with me now. And this, this nine foot tall giant, it just inconsequential, doesn't matter. See, David wasn't driven by circumstances. He was driven by the truth and the certain knowledge that God is for me. But what on earth has happened to David? What has changed him? Seven years has changed David. He's been seven years in the meat grinder with, with Saul just constantly persecuting him and pursuing him. And that takes a toll on a man. It takes a toll on a woman. Some of you, you, you are here, and maybe you came to church today by the skin of your teeth. Maybe you're just hanging on by a thread. And maybe you've just been going through it. And like David, you could get to the place to where you, you know, are, are believing a lie and, and, it's, and it's kind of manifesting in the choices that you now have to make. You're tempted to, to you know, get to the place to where Man, I, I don't know if I can trust God anymore. Now, it's instructive for us to note, just here in this first verse of, the, of chapter 27, the progression of lies that influenced David's decision. There's a progression of lies that influenced his decision. Now, the first thing that we can note here under this heading of we, you know, what we believe affects our choices, the first lie that David believed is he believed a lie about his destiny. 
He believed a lie about his destiny. He says, I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. Now, that right there is a lie. He knew better. He knew he wasn't going to die by the hand of Saul. Why? Well, because he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the king of Israel. He hasn't become the king of Israel yet. He has God's promise through the prophet Samuel, hey, God's anointing you to be king. So he knows just from that experience in 1 Samuel 16, he knows God's not done with me yet. Saul is not going to kill me. As it turns out, he's got my job. And, I, and, and so that's, that's not going to happen. But in the day of trial, well, David doesn't believe that. He's gotten away from that. David knew better because he'd been repeatedly protected by God against his enemies, starting with Goliath and then going on to all the different other you know, enemies of the Lord, that, the battles that David fought, and God made him very successful in all of these battles. And so David knew from that experience that, you know what, Saul is not going to kill you, God's helped you all along. David had even been protected from his worst enemy himself. You know, we looked at that with, you know, Nabal and Abigail and David so ready to react in the flesh and go take Nabal out and kill him. And God sends Abigail to to run to David and go, you know what, don't do this, you're better than this, God's got his hand on you, God's doing a work in your life. And David wakes up from, from, you know, this wrath that he's, rage that he's got and he's like, thank God that he sent you to me. Thank God that he kept, he used you to keep me from making a horrible mistake. So David, over and over and over again, has God moving sovereignly in his life to encourage him, hey, look, you know what? Yeah, I know you're going through a trial, but God's got better things for you. And maybe, again, today you're going through some sort of a trial, some sort of a circumstance, and, and, and there is, you know, the enemy's full court press in your life To tell you a lie about your destiny, you need to remember who you are in Christ Jesus. And that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us. And God has a calling on your life. So David believed a lie about his destiny. Now here's the thing. In three years from now, it's been seven years that he's been going through the meat grinder. He's got three more years of this. But in three years, he's going to be delivered. David doesn't know that. He, we, can, we read the chapter. We can look in, 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 you know, back in history and say, you only got three years left. But when you're in the midst of it, you don't know that you only got three years left. You know, maybe you've heard the story of some, some gal that you know, swims the, the English Channel. I can't remember her name. This is a true story. But basically, she swam the English Channel. And um, the first time she did it, she was unsuccessful. And, uh, and then, you know, she was unsuccessful again. She was getting su- super discouraged. She's swimming. And what happened in one of the times that she did not make it was that the fog had rolled in. And she came within a quarter of a mile of the shore, and she gave up. And she said, you know what? Because of the fog and because I couldn't see the end, I gave up too soon. And she said, I know for sure if I would have seen that I was only a quarter of a mile from the shore that I would have made it. And, and, and so, you know, here's the thing, we give up too soon. And, and, and so, the, you know, with this in mind, uh, you know, we have to understand that, that, listen, David lost sight of the fact that he had a future, that he had a hope, and he let the circumstances derail that, and we need to understand the same thing. That God has given to us a future and a hope. 
God was speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, and he said this. He said, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And you know, the Bible says that that God's heart, heart towards you and me is exactly the same. You read through the book of Ephesians and you see there that, you know, in Christ, Paul says we've received every spiritual blessing. We've received redemption through his blood. We've received forgiveness of sin. We've received an abundance of grace. And Paul goes on to talk about the inheritance that we've received in God, in Christ Jesus. And so we we have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of, 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 of heaven and all. And then he says, you know what, not only do you have, have you received an inheritance, but you've received a calling, a responsibility. God's done great things for you. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And God has a desire to work through every single one of us. Paul talks about all of this stuff. And the idea there, the overarching theme is, listen, you're God's, you're God's child and you've got a great inheritance. And with great inheritance comes great responsibility, but you need to understand and keep your perspective on the fact that God is faithful and, he's, and He desires to do wonderful things in your life. But in the daily grind, we lose sight of that, don't we? In the daily grind, we can get to the place where we think, well, where are you, God? What, have you forsaken me, God? Are you, I feel like I'm, I'm, it's just, I'm all alone here. I feel like, you know, it's just, I'm worn down, I'm weary. You ever been there? Maybe you're there today. I'm weary. I'm tired. Paul, speaking to the Galatians, he said, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So it's been seven years. David's losing heart, and he believed a lie about his destiny. Hey, you know, he forgot the fact that, you know, you're going to be king. God's promised you're going to be king. Now he's thinking, you know, Saul's going to kill me. Which leads us to see David's second lie. He believed a lie about his dilemma. Not only does he say Saul's going to kill me, but he says, you know what? There's nothing better for me. There's nothing better for me than I should escape into the the land of the Philistines. There's nothing better for you, David? Really? You, You, the man after God's own heart? You, the guy that God sent a prophet to anoint? You, who God has done incredible, crazy things in your life and demonstrated his faithfulness over and over and over again, and now you're going to get to the place to where you're going to say, you know what? There's nothing better for me than this, right? And, and that's what happens in our life is that when we get to a place where, you know, God has, 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 has done this work and all of a sudden, instead of believing in the destiny that God has for us, we, we you know, believe a lie about our destiny. Well, then our, our circumstances, the dilemma that we're in takes on a whole different thing. Because now it's like, oh, I don't know that this is my destiny. I think this is my destiny. And so now what happens is the dilemma that I'm in goes through an entirely different filter. Turn to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as you're making your way there, just um, you know, explanation here. Basically... Paul's talking about trials and hardships that we, that we face, the daily grind of being a Christian here uh, as he's writing to the, to the Corinthians. And, um, and he's talking to them about how you know, we're hard-pressed, how we're crushed, how we're perplexed, how, how we're persecuted, how we're struck down. 
But notice the context that he puts his dilemma in. We'll pick it up in verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And so he goes on to talk about we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Right? And, and he says we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may uh, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. If I can take the liberty of paraphrasing that a little bit, basically what Paul is saying is, look, life is hard, you've got all of these trials, but, but you need to understand that you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is what he builds to in in chapter 5. If you'll skip over to verse 7, this is the heart and the mindset that he says all of these things. How can we be persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed? How can we be hard-pressed on every side and yet not crushed or perplexed but not in despair? Here it is, chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The idea is, look, I am walking not by sight, not looking at my circumstances, not going by my feelings and how I feel, but listen, I'm walking by faith. And this is what David lost sight of. Because David got to the place in his life where because of the consequence or the, the, the conditions of his life, because of the path that God had chosen for him to grind him down and to refine him, he despaired in the midst of that and got in this place where David starts to believe this lie about his destiny and now he's believing a lie about his dilemma. He's believing a lie about these circumstances that he's going through and he's saying, oh, all of this stuff, I mean, it's just, horrible. There's nothing better for me. Yes, there is something better for you, David. Yes, there is. And God has made that manifestly clear to you, but you have allowed the conditions and the circumstances in your life to lead you to a place where you're now believing a lie. And that's going to affect the choice that you make. Not to follow God, but you're going to start following, walking in the way that seems right to you. Everything in you wants to walk by sight. Everything in me wants to walk by sight. This is the constant tension of your flesh. We try to engineer our entire life so that I don't have to have faith. I want to engineer my checkbook in such a way that I don't have to have faith in God. I want to engineer all of my circumstances and my relationships and everything in such a way that I don't have to, to, to trust anything to faith but that I can engineer it all in, in, in my own way. And so what happens is, is that we try and do everything to, to, to walk by sight, and yet 
God says in his word that without faith, it's impossible to please him for he's a rewarder of those that diligently, for, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God wants you to walk by faith, trusting in him. And so God orders the things in our lives to where, like David, the goal is obscured. And I go, you, you anointed me to be king, and, and now it's seven years of trial and heartache and agony, and now I start going, well, what's up, God? This doesn't make sense. And so much of our life is like a jigsaw puzzle to where God, you know, he's putting the pieces of the puzzle, and you, you ever done that? You put together a jigsaw puzzle, and you pick up a piece, you're like, well, that don't fit. You look at the whole puzzle, you're looking at the box, you're looking at the piece, you're like, some guy at the puzzle manufacturer put another piece in here that doesn't fit. This thing just, just does not make sense. And God does that in our life. He just puts it, there's a piece of the puzzle of our life that God throws down and you're like, are you messing with me, man? This is just not, this, this is wrong. This, this just doesn't fit. And so what we want to do is we want to engineer things to go according to, to sight, according to, to what I can engineer. And so because David believed this lie about his dilemma, leads him right into the third lie, which is David believed a lie about his direction. He says, I need to run into enemy territory. This is what he says in, in verse 1 there, chapter 27. There's nothing better for me that I, I need to run, escape out of his hand, and I need to go to, to, to Gath. Right? I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Hey, listen. David fought Goliath, who was a Philistine, the enemies of God. Now, in what, what world is it God's will that we should leave his place and his purposes for us and run to the enemy land, to the enemy territory? What is it that we get to the place where we think, oh, you know what? I think that God would have me do this. But we do, we do this stuff all the time. We rationalize this stuff all the time. Just a random example that comes right to the top of my mind. You know what? Uh, I, I, I can't, I'm having trouble paying my bills. And uh, so, you know what? I, I think, uh, well, gosh, I could, I could do this with my taxes. I could do that with my taxes. Well, it's not exactly honest. Well, I know, but I can't pay my bills if I can't do that. And I can't, you know, and, and so, and I, can't, and I couldn't pay my tithe if I, if I, if I was to do that. So I'm going to, and so we start engineering stuff and we rationalize it in our mind. And yet, if somebody was to say it just flat out to you and go, okay, so what you're saying is God says this, but you want to do that, and you think that God's going to be okay with it. My wife is brilliant in my life for this, you know. I'll say, oh, I think we ought to do this. She'll be like, okay, so what I hear you saying is God says this, and you want to do this. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. And, and we do that all the time. There's, there's things in our lives where we just, we allow these lies to come in and, oh gosh, I, you know, I'm going to go in this direction. This is exactly what David's doing. David believes a lie about his direction. I need to run to enemy territory. Proverbs 14.12 tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And you know, that truth is so important. The Bible says it tw- twice. Proverbs 16.25 says the exact same thing. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, if you lose sight of your destiny, and if you focus instead on your dilemma, it will inevitably show up in the direction that you take. And that's exactly what David has happened here. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, Always be afraid of being afraid. 
Failing faith means failing strength. Do not regard despondency as merely a loss of joy. View it as a draining away your spiritual life. Struggle against it, for it often happens that when faith ebbs, sin comes in like a flood. He who does not comfortably trust God will soon seek after comfort somewhere else. Let me ask you a question. Are you seeking comfort somewhere else? In fact, you know, again, not in my notes, but you might want to write this question down. Take a walk with it. It's a really painful question to ask yourself if you ask it honestly and answer it honestly. And that is, where do I run for comfort? Where do I run for comfort? So what we believe affects the choices that we make. I want you to notice, secondly, in our text, what we believe affects our children. What we believe affects our children. Verse 2, Then David arose, and he went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, He and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, say that three times fast, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, and so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, uh, just stop right there. David, now going to Achish, the king of the enemies of God, and says, I'm concerned about having favor in your eyes. Have I found, now if I have found, he's going to ask him for a favor, but if I found favor in your eyes. Now, he should be saying that to God. He's got no business saying to God's enemies, hey, I want to, I want to find favor in your eyes, but this is how the mighty have fallen. This is where he's at. And he says, if I found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. He now wants to live in enemy territory. And David might say all day long, oh, you know what, I just want to go, you know, I'm just going to go there for a time, but he's looking for a place to live. Hello. We sometimes run into sin and we're looking to live there. So this is what's going on with David. He's like, hey, give me a place to live. For why should your servant, he's saying, I'm going to be your servant. I'm your servant, their enemy of God. Why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. What we believe affects our children. Notice how David's belief affected not just himself. He moves down there, right, with his whole household. And not just with his whole household. He takes 600 men with him. And their households. And so our sin affects a ton of people. And what David believed now starts affecting his his children, all the children and families of all the guys that are following him. We have to be very careful about this because we make choices lots of times in our lives, sometimes by the leading of the Holy Spirit in a bold step of faith, but oftentimes in an effort to walk according to the flesh and what seems right to, to us. I'm reminded of Elimelech uh, uh, in, in uh, the book of Ruth. If you read in the book of Ruth, great story. And you, you've, you've got this guy 
And, and Elimelech, his name, by the way, Elimelech uh, means um, uh, God. Oh, hold on, let me find it in my notes here because I forgot. Um, God is king. That's what it means. It means God is king. So here you got a guy whose name means God is king. Now the circumstances in his life got kind of dicey. He's living in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means the house of bread. But there's a famine in the land. Imagine that irony of irony. There's a, there's a famine in the house of bread. So, so Elimelech's got a difficult decision to make. He's like, well, what am I going to do to feed my family? So Elimelech decides, well, you know what? Let's, let, we'll go down to, to, to Moab and, and we'll live down there, right? Now, you've got to understand the history of Moab and what's going on. It's a pagan country. And the way the, the Moabites were established, well, if you, if you look in Genesis chapter 19, there's, there's a story there about how God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he, he rains down fire, judges Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot gets out. And Lot's daughters get out. And now Lot's daughters are there in a, a kind of a post-apocalyptic kind of setting. And they reason in their mind, you know what we really need is we really need to have children. For us to have a future, we need to have children. But, you know, as it turns out, you know, our, uh, God's rained down fire and there's, there's not a lot of available men. So what, what are we going to do to remedy the situation? Well, I know what. Let's get dad drunk and we'll sleep with him. And that's exactly what they did. You're like, ew, right? Well, this is what they did. And so the oldest, she has a child and she names the child Moab. And these are the Moabites. They're they're started from an incestuous relationship. And they are the sworn enemies of Israel. Right? James 1, 14, 15 says, Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. That's exactly what happened with, with, uh, with Lot's daughters and with this situation. And so that, that's how the, 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 the land of Moab and the Moabites was established in the first place. And so now, all this time later, you've got Elimelech, and he's like, oh, you know, things aren't going so good here. i got to engineer the situation. What am I going to do? Well, let's move into enemy territory. Sound familiar? You know? That's what David did. Let's just move into enemy territory. So he takes, he takes his wife there. He takes his two sons there. And, you know, in short order, Elimelech dies. His two boys die, right? And this is what happens when God is king becomes... Let's move into enemy territory, right? God's no longer king. He's not trusting in God. He's engineering his own circumstances, his own situation. The irony is that Elimelech made the same mistake as Lot's daughters, wound up in the same place. They're like, well, you know what? We need, we need kids. How are we going to do it? They engineer something totally outside of God's will. That's when the enemies of, of the Lord come up. This is the decision Elimelech makes, and this is now the decision David makes. Ah, you know what? Uh, I think that, well, I'm going to go into this area. No regard for his kids. You know, and, and just putting it in practical terms, our, our kind of terms, our everyday life kind of terms. I talk to men lots that lots of times are making decisions. And, you know, maybe a guy is making a decision about, you know what, I'm I just not making it here financially, so I think the answer is I'm going to move out of state. I'm going to move my family, you know, Pig's Knuckle, Arkansas, and this is where it's going to be or whatever. 
And, uh, and, and that's, that's fine and well, just so long as that's where lo- the Lord's leading you. Because a lot of times we'll make a decision based on circumstances and based on finances, but I've never taken the time to really take a prayerful walk with God and go, is this where you want my family? And a guy will move his family to some place because he's got a hope of a job. Well, where are you going to go to church? Well, I don't know. Well, who, what kind of influences are going to be there? What kind of Christian fellowship are you going to have? What are you going to do to strengthen yourself spiritually? Well, I don't know. And I talk to people over and over and over again. I get emails all the time. People will talk to me. They'll say, we didn't realize what we had in Temecula because it is not like that out here. We're starving for Christian fellowship or whatever it is. And that's not a message just to say, hey, don't, don't move, don't leave this church, although I would say don't move, don't leave this church. But it is a message to say, listen, when we're making a decision, we got to understand that what we believe, it affects our choices and it affects our children. And we got to be very careful about what we believe and why we're doing it, that we've prayerfully considered, hey, Lord, you know, is this what you're doing? And it all comes down to this issue of walking by faith or walking in the flesh. And so David here, he's gone through trial, he's gone through circumstances, and he's stopped walking by faith. He's starting to just make decisions in the flesh. Well, you know what? As far as I can tell, I just need some relief, you know? There's an there's a old southern comedian called Jerry Clower. So those of you who are older might know him. But he tells this story about going coon hunting with his brother. And, uh, and so they get the coon treed, and he decides he's going to climb up in the tree to go after the raccoon. And so he gets there way up in the, in the tree, and the raccoon attacks him while he's in the tree. And his brother's there down below, and he's just screaming, Yeah, shoot up here, shoot, shoot, shoot it. And he says, I, if I shoot up there, I might hit you. And his response is, hey, listen, just shoot up here because one of us needs some relief. I don't care who you hit, man, just start shooting because one of us needs to get some relief. And that's the place that David is at, man. He's like, I just need some relief from this. And he starts engineering the situation all by himself. Well, thirdly and finally, I want you to see that what we believe, not only does it affect our choices, not only does it affect our children, it affects our character. Pick it up in verse 8. It says, And David and his men went up, and they raided the Geshurites. You can circle that word raided. We'll come back to it. The Gizurites, the Amalekites, the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but he took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camel, and the apparel, and he returned and came to Achish. And then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the Jeremelites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. In other words, David's lying to him. He's telling him, oh, I'm not, you know, attacking in these places. He's saying, oh, I'm attacking, you know, the the Israelites, basically. He wants Akish to believe, hey, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm your friend kind of deal. And um, verse 11, David would save neither man nor woman alive, to bring news to Gath, uh, saying, lest they should inform on us, uh, saying, thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country 
of the Philistines. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, and yet we're reading here that he is a common thief and a murderer. He's killing people, and he's killing them so they won't rat them out. Verse 12, So Achish believed David, saying he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, and therefore he will be my servant forever. Now I told you to circle that word rated. What that word rated means in the Hebrew, it comes from the verb to strip. And what the idea is, is that as he was killing man and woman, he would strip everything that was of value and take it for himself. And so he's going into a village, killing everybody, and then taking all of this stuff. Now, there is no excuse for David's behavior. And, and as near as you can tell, as you read this, God hasn't told him to do any of this stuff. How do you reconcile the fact that God calls David a man after his own heart, and yet we read about David doing such an atrocious thing? There's only one way to reconcile it. God's good, and man is evil. And, and we, we, we read this, this account, and here's the thing, by the way, when you read it and you think, well, gosh, what is David here? He's, he's, a, he's a robber, he's a, he's a murderer, he, he's, he's, he's doing all this without the approval or the guidance of God, he's fighting for profit instead of fighting for God's honor. And you consider and you go, you know what, if, if I asked anybody, if I asked you prior to preaching this message, what was David's notorious sin? Most people would readily answer and go, well, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he, and then he killed her husband, Uriah, to cover it up. You see the roots of it here in, verse 20, or in chapter 27? He kills men or women and he, or he steals from men and women and he kills to cover it up. Just like he stole from Uriah, his wife, and killed him to cover it up. See, you trace it back here. You got you to gotta deal with your sin. You got to get to the root. All of that is in, we see what's going on here with David is that, you know, wow, bro, you have come a long way from when you fought Goliath and said, you know what? I'm going to trust in the Lord. Right? You've, you've fallen a long way. My closing point of application with all of this is just simply to go, you know, a lot of times when we think about serving God, we think about what it is to, to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. And, and oftentimes we can lie to ourselves in the sense that we say, well, gosh, I, I can't serve God because I've done this or because I have this in my past. And when I come away from this place and reading this account of David, I come away w- with this insight. Look, God is he's good and he's loving. And in him you can find forgiveness and you can f- have God restore you. And listen, you can, you can serve God and be used by God to do amazing things. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Because I'm not saying that you don't have a responsibility to honor God with your life. And I'm not saying that there aren't consequences for your sin. And I'm not saying that you can just sort of wink at sin and sweep it under the rug and live the sort of life that just sort of, 
you know, hey, don't look over there and, and you can sort of be, you know, honor God when you want to. But what I am saying is this, is that God used David in incredible ways and David was an incredible sinner. God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness is absolutely and completely total. And today, if you are in a place where you've sinned against God, you can cry out to him and you can find in him forgiveness. You can find restoration. And listen, not one of you is in a place where you're too far from God doing a restorative work in your life. And so we conclude here with the point of saying, don't, don't tell yourself lies. Don't tell yourself that, you know what, God isn't faithful. Don't tell yourself that I can't trust God. Don't tell yourself i got to take matters into my own hands. Because when you take matters into your own hands, you fall greatly outside of the will of God. And you find yourself going down a path that's profoundly destructive. 